welcome back to The Catch. I'm your host, Michael Adams, and today we're joined once more by our featured guest, Mick Best. Mick, how's it going? Pretty great, Mike. Can't, uh, can't believe I'm back on Mike and Mike in the evening. I know, Mike and Mike. It's the hottest show on the air right now, I think. Yeah, Rated yeah, right. number one on Spotify right now over Joe Rogan. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> Joe Rogan's canceled, so... Yeah, we're, we're still alive right now. That so. helps. Yeah, for now. Yeah, we'll see after today. <laughs> yeah, I know. This, yeah, we'll see uh, how uh, how incendiary we can become and see if we can get booted off. That would be quite an accomplishment. It would be, honestly. It would be a pretty nobody, big deal. Nobody kicks a dead dog. Usually. We that hope. would be a compliment. That would be, be, yeah, be something. Great compliment. All right, we'll shoot for it. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's the plan. That's the goal for today. Uh, Nick, it's been a while since you joined us. Uh, for those who are up to date in your life, you want to give a little uh, update how you're doing? What's What's been going on in your neck of the woods? Yes, yeah, so I'm still living in Chicago and studying theology. Uh, I'm working also for Bishop Sheen Rosaries uh, with your guest Adam Camp from last week. Um, yeah, you know, not much going on in the world these days, so I'd say pretty pretty tame as of right now. Yeah, the, the world is very tame. No big events have happened in the last week and a half. I know. No, really no big news. It might be hard to find something to talk about. Exactly. I, I, you were supposed to prepare the topic, so I'm just going to coast today probably. Just All right, the topic is have. silence, and we're going to do a silent podcast. How about that? Just straight 30 minutes of just nothing. 30 minutes of noise canceling. <laughs> We can be the white noise for everyone listening on their headphones. Yeah, Mick, what, what's the noise you're gonna make? <laughs> uh, I didn't. That's not in the uh, in the contract. I was like, so I, I, want, I want to see the sample. Give, give give the people what they want. I'll do some opera singing. How about that? I'll take that. That or some Gregorian chant, one or the other. All right, maybe next time. Maybe next time. Okay, I'll wait for that. So, how about yourself, Mike? How have you been? Things are going well here in Metamora. There's, there's not too much happening. Uh, small town America. It's pretty quiet all the time. Um, yeah, family family's healthy, and we're just kind of making the best of living at home in the same roof without going too crazy. Mm-hmm. All right, great. I'm, I'm I'm looking at apartments, starting to think about the move up to Chicago here in the next couple months, and uh, mm-hmm. going to be ditching my woods and fields of Metamora for lights and buildings of chicago here soon wow coming up here to join me huh yes for the month that you're up there <laughs> yeah it's uh you know what man it's amazing big city big lights and then you start to realize after two months like wow this is a lot of concrete and uh then you go back home and you're like oh my gosh trees wow grass i can see the sky this is amazing I didn't realize that I haven't seen these things. <laughs> that's, so that's what I think I would be like if I ever went on a cruise. If I ever went on a cruise, I'd be miserable. And I'd just be counting down the days till I could be back on earth with like trees and grass, all those things. You really think so? See, I think being out on the ocean like that might be pretty, pretty beautiful, actually. I think I would enjoy it for like a day. And after a day, I'd get freaked out. I wouldn't like it. I'd go all full Titanic in my head. I'm definitely not saying that I'm a cruise person. Full disclaimer. I think you just said. <laughs> I'm not a cruise person. But it's like it's like the water version of being out in Metamora. No. 
It is 100%. Blasphemy. There's nothing for miles and miles. This is Metamora except on water. (laughs) That is straight up blasphemy. No, Metamora has lots to offer for tourists. We have a park. We have a high school. The whole thing is a park. Yeah, it is. Essentially, we got a lot of trees. We got two stoplights in the whole town. So, I mean... What, what more could you ask for? Is there really only two stoplights? Wow. I didn't not, now that I said that, I think it's actually only one. Yeah. yeah well, that's one more than you would have on the cruise. So I guess they're slightly different. Yeah. It's a big city I over will, here. In I will say I have gotten a little bit of a taste of why Chicagoans actually think that everything south of I-80 is Southern Illinois. <laughs> why Peoria is that? Is a totally different place. Peoria is so different. It is different world so i thought i was a city guy i did maybe i still am i was like are you what what are the results in yet i'm divergent divergent that doesn't surprise me (laughs) i know i know if you had to compare peoria to chicago what's the better one where where would you choose oh hands down peoria oh good man peoria's home good man home yeah uh, I mean, Chicago is Chicago is quite the place, but doesn't compare to Peoria. Yeah, I think I'm gonna go up to Chicago. I'm gonna love it a lot for maybe a year. After a year, I'm like, oh my goodness, I need out of this city. Yeah, <laughs> it's good. It's good while you're young, such as yourself, Mike, and uh, can have have a little fun in the city, but. It's also quite the beast. Oh yeah. And um, who knows what's going to happen these days? Not as not as if anything is volatile in the country or in the culture, but uh, not that I can think of. I would imagine yeah. the cities are pretty peaceful. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, there's a there's a tuba party going on going on next to my apartment right now. So if anyone hears a tuba come in at any point. That is not my roommates. It's not Liam. And um, it's certainly not me. But my neighbors do have a giant tuba playing right now. You're really lucky, honestly. Front row at a band concert for free. Mm-hmm. I know. I no know. admission. I know. So anyways, Mike, what do you think? Uh, what do you think we should talk about in such a tame and peaceful place? I thought I thought we were doing silence. Oh yeah, that's right. You know, it does remind me of this uh, this JP two quote um, that I actually posted on Bishop Sheen Rosaries not long ago. Uh, if you'd like to, if you'd like to hear it. Yeah, Mick, what is it? Let, let me hear it. All right, all right. This is uh, pretty pretty juicy. So get ready. We are now standing in the face of the greatest historical confrontation humanity has gone through. I do not think that wide circles of American society or wide circles of the Christian community realize this fully. We are now facing the final confrontation between the church and the anti-church of the gospel versus the anti-gospel. We must be prepared to undergo great trials in the not too distant future. Trials that will require us to be ready to give up even our lives and a total gift of self to Christ and for Christ. Through your prayers and mine, it is possible to alleviate this tribulation, but it is no longer possible to avert it. 
How many times has the renewal of the church been brought about in blood? It will not be different this time. But Mick, I thought you said everything was peaceful right now. That's the interesting part about it, man. He says, I do not think that wide circles of American society or wide circles of the Christian community realize this fully. He said this before he was Pope uh, in 1976 in Philadelphia. I think that's fascinating. Yeah, a little uh, premonition of the times we're in right now. So it begs the question, you know, because JP2 always spoke of this new springtime for the church with the coming millennium. But here he says, how many times has the renewal of the church been brought about in blood? It will not be different this time. He was, he was definitely one to always say, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. I, uh, I can't help but think of the seeds, the seeds for that springtime come from uh, the martyrs in winter, you know? Mm-hmm. There's, always, there's always a winter before the springtime. Yeah, I, I can't help but think of kind of it's kind of similar to you there, but he's talking about this new wave of the church in the second millennium, and, and it seems odd that we'd be able to go to that new wave without first having the seed of the martyrs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I know he always preached about this new millennium and this new time of the church, but it makes sense that right now we're at the stage where many of us kind of want to just be there but we first have to actually go through this almost payment phase through martyrdom. Yeah. Tribulation, the church going through its own Calvary. Yes, exactly. So what do you think is, what do you think is our role, Mike, in, um, in the greater situations uh, we should find ourselves in? I think this is contested. Honestly, I think that, um, you kind of have two different perspectives. There's one perspective that says we should do nothing. That this, the way the world's moving is necessary and it's time that we catch up. And you have the other side where we hold on to the tradition and we say, wait a second, something has to be done. Someone has to fight. And we've talked about this recently too of who are gonna be the ones that step up to fight. And now is as great of a time as any for everyone to kind of look at themselves in the mirror and decide which side you're going to be on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think uh, there's a lot of, a lot of fear out there right now? Yeah, I, I do. I think uh, I, I'm, I've been afraid in the past week and I know a lot of my family has been afraid in the past week of just the future of, not only the church, but really just the future of the nation, the future of America, future of the greater world, um, future of marriage, the future of life, all of these things that we hold so dearly within the church and within our own hearts, all of them now seem attacked and seem like they are in danger. And we did, we recently did the podcast, which people can refer to about how to kind of manage and deal with these fears. But Mick, I guess I'd kind of like to pose the question to you is, what is actually the correct response to all of these events happening? Because we know that fear is not necessarily the correct response. 
but if that's not it, how should we be viewing this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, right. And it's a valid feeling as humans, we're all going to feel fear. Right. Um, but at the same time, JP2, the man who I just read from <clears throat> harps on us over and over, be not afraid, be not afraid, be not afraid. Um, and our Lord tells us himself, be not afraid. Um, so I was, I've been reflecting on this a lot too, because, you know, we're all caught up in things going on. Um, and just before the election, I had been talking to some friends from the seminary and we actually had a classmate who left last year for um, a monastery in Europe. <clears throat> and he was gonna go visit for a month in this monastery, it's a Carthusian monastery, and the Carthusians are about as strict as it gets. <clears throat> There's hardly any talking, and it's a completely cloistered way of life. If you want to take a look at the monastery, it may be pictured on your screen at some point. Um, but we just got word that he went on his visit, and he's not coming back. And it's, it's profoundly moving and beautiful that he is giving his life over to prayer. Um, and there's actually a documentary about this monastery called Integrate Silence. Uh, and it had been recommended to me by a few people. So on election night, uh, I decided I'm going to watch this instead of anything else. It was honestly probably a better use of your time. I stayed oh up and watched the election it and it was brutal. So it was I'm a little amazing. Jealous. But it was like, at the same time, it was like kind of a weird experience of uh, being in a different world. It was a little bit trippy. And uh, so this documentary is basically complete silence. It's actually not uh, like any interviews. Um, anything at all uh, because they take a vow of silence. And so the, the way that it was done was actually the director emailed the, uh, the monastery and didn't get a response for 16 years. And then they responded and they said, yeah, sure. You can come film. I can't believe the director even was like, actually yeah. going to go after that. So if I'm him, I'm just going to forget about it. He stuck with it and um, it ended up taking like five years to film also. Wow. But so this documentary is basically a work of art more than anything. And it's just observing the life of the brothers. And I have to tell you, it was so profound because it, it just begs the question of like, what, what is reality? What is, what is the real right now? There's CNN and Fox going nuts over so much that we have contrived on our own, uh, so much trouble that we have contrived on our own. Yet these are the ones who uh, are taking our Lord's command to be watchful and to be vigilant, these, these monks, um, and they are living it out. Uh, it's this like, and, and so you can actually feel it when you, when you watch this documentary, like you can feel the silence because there'll be some outtakes where it's just like showing the monastery with 
the mountains as the backdrop. And it's this deep, deep silence where you realize the reality of God and God within us. So it becomes so, it's, it's so easy to, to lose that right now. Um, probably easier than ever. Uh, so on top of whatever may be going on in the news, we have just so many distractions available to us at all times. But to be completely unplugged, I think is like a spiritual privilege, really. Uh, but also gets at a duty that we all have, like uh, to keep watch and to be vigilant um, and vigilant in prayer. Uh, Jesus on uh, before he was betrayed, asked his apostles, could you not keep watch with me for one hour? This is our duty uh, right now. In my opinion, that was what was what was hitting me during this documentary is we need to pray, pray, pray and be like, be like John at the Last Supper and rest on the heart of our Lord. Yeah, the, the idea of resting on the heart of the Lord honestly is a little hard for me to grab, like kind of grasp right now because again, we live in like a restless time. Um, mm -hmm. I guess in your eyes and in your opinion, I know you just watched this documentary of, you know, you kind of reveal the true nature of God through the silence. How can we center ourselves within that and find rest within that when we are surrounded by all the hecticness, how can we unplug from that and bring ourselves back to centered with Christ? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so there's also this uh, uh, one method of prayer that I came across in seminary. A friend gave me a book that was um, this uh, cloistered nun who had received this message from God uh, about a way of prayer and like you pick up the book and it's like terrible publishing quality and it looks like it's something <laughs> obscure from like a random kind of crazy person uh <laughs> which is and is like having these apparitions that may or may not be true um but the cover just is a an, an image of jesus and the title all it says is I will think of everything you think only of loving me, which I think is, is honestly in one line, like the essence of prayer um, and to be poor in spirit uh, because what we're looking for in these, in the, in the news or whatever it may be, uh, when you keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling is we're like searching for control or some certainty of what's going to happen next. But Jesus asked us, like, let me think of that. Keep coming to me. So he tells us non just repeat over and over. Jesus, Mary, I love you. Save souls. Jesus, Mary, I love you. Save souls. And keep thinking about him instead of all of this other stuff that may be going on, uh, which goes to show like even a cloistered nun is going to have some, distractions uh but in that we are truly poor in spirit when we decide to like not think about the other things and just to think about christ and it's in that that the next step is revealed because we can't look beyond anywhere beyond just the next step you know 
that's interesting to me because you talk that we can't reach that next step. We can't even see that next step until first we let go of those distractions. I think many of us grow frustrated with not knowing the next step. And maybe the reason we aren't able to see it, maybe the reason we aren't there yet is purely because we are constantly filling ourselves with these distractions and constantly filling ourselves with these anxieties of the world or our own personal trials and tribulations, whatever they may be. And yeah, it's just kind of, it's kind of making me think about myself a lot right now of how I engage the media or how I engage my surroundings and what that effect has been on my life. Dude, uh, me too. Honestly, it's, uh, it's something that like really ensnares you and you have to be so resolute and disciplined with it in order to uh, combat it. Because, because the reality of our situation is like these devices, if you've watched The Social Dilemma, uh, I was going to watch it tonight. Like, I haven't watched hugely it Hugely popular right now. Uh, if you've seen it, you realize like these, these are made to distract us. They are made to addict us. Um, and it's, we are completely immersed in it. Um, so we have to like do away with it essentially. Um, we don't, you know, it's, we don't all have the luxury of being able to live a life completely detached from, uh, you know, what, uh, things we have to do through a phone or something like that. But because we need a phone to do certain things, we end up getting super addicted to them or just mindlessly scrolling on, on the news or on the media or whatever. Uh, yeah, we have to fight. We have to fight it. It's hard for me to detach from certain things on my phone. And I know that that true addiction to your phone is real. I've experienced it. I know people in my life have as well or you know, currently are. And I like what you kind of said earlier, and this is actually before we started talking, how you recently just deleted all social media off of your phone. And I think for me, sometimes that's just the simplest fix. It's like if you're struggling with the distractions or if something's taking up all your time or taking up all your mental energy. I know last year I did Exodus 90. And one of the things with Exodus 90 was no social media or really no using your phone for anything that's non-essential. And it honestly made me wish I could go back to like the early 2000s when like the Razer flip phone was the hottest thing on the market. Like yeah. I could kind of have that again. Um, no doubt. Like having the iPhone, having all of this at the touch of the thumb is makes us so prone to actually encountering distractions and growing in anxieties and in growing in fear of what's going to be happening. And that's truly how the news is based too. We, we have to remember that the news is consumer based. And at the end of the day, they are trying to sell something to us. And, and if they were purely objective and just wanted to tell us what we wanted to hear, we might not come back as often, but they're going to sell us the fear. They're going to make us anxious. They're going to distract us so that at 2.30 in the afternoon, we're supposed to be praying. We're going to go on our phone instead and check and make sure there's no updates to the election. Or there's no updates with protests, whatever it may be. They know how to sell it to us in such a way that keeps us coming back. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I firmly believe that we need to fight it. Uh, like full stop, stop, <laughs> uh, just get off, get off of it. Stop scrolling. Um, it's exactly what the devil wants. It's exactly what the culture wants is us to be numbed, uh, by it. Uh, 
but God has created us to be fully alive. God has created us to be on fire. So get rid of it. Just, just stop. <laughs> there was a, there's a homily from a priest. I really, I really admire um, a while ago. And at one point <laughs> I just started laughing because uh, he's preaching and he's basically just yelling, do something, just do something. <laughs> um, and everybody loves it. Everybody wanted like a little bit of a smack uh, in the face, a little bit of a pep talk, like, yeah, we can do so much more, but we have to fight, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it sounds like uh, Shia LaBeouf has a priest, honestly, like his little Just Do It video. <laughs> well, I, I would hope he's a little more, uh, I don't know. I know what to, yeah, I understand what you're trying uh, to say. <laughs> not Shia LaBeouf like. <laughs> hey, that's okay. Never know. Um, but yeah, I think one of the things I want to touch on there too is you talk about this idea of you know full stop, just stop, stop, it. get off of it. You have to do something. You have to fight. For those people who really feel like they can't stop, whether that's right or wrong, how can we combat it in other ways? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, and certainly there are instances where professional help is needed with, with things and that's something to be discerned by each person individually. Um, but we remove the bad to be filled with the good. Um, and we don't remove the bad or not necessarily even the, the bad, but just a lesser good. We don't remove it to be filled with nothing and we don't remove it because things uh, are intrinsically evil. It's like even, even the iPhone, despite the logo logo of an apple with a bite out of it is not intrinsically evil. Video games are not intrinsically evil, um, but we remove them to be filled with the good, which is one of the most difficult times during quarantine and shows the importance of allowing churches to be open allowing social gatherings is that we need good things, good healthy things in our lives, um, good forms of play, like just messing around um, to yeah, refill that, that new void with something more wholesome and more filled with the life of God, really. I love that you say, yeah, I love that you say the emptiness is not necessarily meant to stay empty that it's supposed to be filled. And again, you just said it, but I was going to say, it reminds me exactly of what you said earlier. Pray, 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 and then pray some more. (laughs) We need all of the prayer we can get right now. Absolutely. And I know that's kind of the purpose of Exodus 90 outside like the purification of letting go of the attachment to these things was filling your day with healthier habits that are building virtue rather than tearing down it. And I think we're talking about the trials of the world right now. And the number one way we can begin to even fight and begin to combat that is to grow in virtues and grow in trust and to grow in just a deeper desire to spend time with God, which comes from us increasing the amount of time we're able to give to him through, you know, a full stop. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, Prayer definitely is, is absolutely essential because Everything else springs from and comes from prayer. So Cardinal Seurat in his uh, book, The Power of Silence, he actually goes to this uh, monastery that may or may not have appeared on your screen before or could at some point still. (laughs) Um, But he wrote the whole book from this monastery. um, 
And he said exactly that, that silence is the basis of our conversation. And silence is the basis for um, our mission. So for example, in the book of Maccabees, um, there is this king who, I'll try and be brief with this, is this king who wants to make everyone the same. So he doesn't allow the Jews to worship as they have throughout their entire existence. So the people then flee to the mountains. There's a whole group of Jews who compromise and stay in the city and say, sure, king, we'll, we'll do it. And there goes all of them They're and they're no longer uh, faithful to Jewish practice. But the faithful Jews retreat to the mountains and they pray and they fast. And it becomes this, this hideout for them or this uh, time away where they uh, find their game plan and mission as to how to engage this tyrannical ruler. So great model to read right now because they end up, um, there's a group of them that is martyred and there is a group that fights back. Um, some are uh, willingly martyred and some are unwillingly martyred. Um, but the ones who fight back um, basically find that through their prayer, God has blessed their uh, endeavors and they know their purpose. They know their mission. They know God's will. They know uh, what they're supposed to do. And they only know the next step. They don't know everything that's going to happen. But one by one, they start going and winning battles. And e each battle, they, they say to their leader, Judas, um, we are, we're so outnumbered. What can we do here? Um, this is hopeless. And they pray. And they're exhorted by Judas again, like, we have the Lord on our side. We will prevail. And they continue going next step, next step, next step. Um, finding their success and eventually their peace. Uh, and the peace that paves the way for the Savior shortly after. Because the book of Maccabees is the last one in the Old Testament. Um, so that's what I've found as, as somewhat of a, a solace and uh, an encouragement that we pray, 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 and then the, come, the time will come when God has made his mission evident to us. I love that the way, the end, the way that, that story ended was peace. Right. There was no more of the distractions, the anxieties. It was just peace. Mm -hmm. But they couldn't get there with that first going step by step, kind of like you're saying. So I, I want to go read the book of Maccabees now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man, do it. It is enthralling. This is, it, it's pretty crazy, to be honest. So, seems pretty entertaining. Seems like there's a lot of action in it. Absolutely. Well worth it. Actually, it's when you start finally getting some normal names. Also, so like uh, John, Simon, Judas, we've heard these names before. No longer is it uh, Nebuchadnezzar and Melchizedek. Um, but actually like, uh, Simon, son of John, uh, which we hear in the gospels actually comes from Maccabees originally. Uh, so it's, it's like Jesus, when he says Simon, son of John, he's actually referring to the high priests who were, uh, in the book of Maccabees. 
and the highest priest who is kind of signaling, yeah, this is, this is it, man. Like you're the guy. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, a lot of little, little treasures to be found, to be found in there. Yeah. I, I had no idea that there were those connections there. Yeah. Yeah. The old Testament is full of, full of that. It's, it's really, uh, it's really something. Yeah. Straight something else worth, uh, yeah, worth doing in the silence, you know, uh, because again, when there's, when there's not the, uh, normal distractions that we have, we have to fill it with something, right. You know, uh, gotta have new habits, new hobbies. What's amazing. It's amazing how much more capable you are of things like that. Yeah. Like most people, I would think, or at least I've felt this too. Like you open up the old Testament and it's just like, how in the world can I read this? Mm -hmm. But also like when you get rid of distractions, um, you're like, how in the world can I fill this space? And then it's like, Oh wow. We have so much that we can go through. We have, you know, and there's plenty of other things to read too, but the opportunity is there. The opportunity is definitely there. I think you could read eight hours a day for the rest of your life and you still wouldn't even scratch the surface of all there is out there to, to get to. So I, I don't think there's any uh, lack of opportunities or options for people. Right. Yeah, definitely not. Definitely not. It's interesting though with the Maccabees and this is something that I was going to ask you because in some ways that's a very similar situation to what we're dealing with now. Um, maybe not the same levels of extreme like right now at this moment, like we're not in the mountains and we're not being murdered and we're not having to fight necessarily specifically like that. But what are there like similar events um, for those of us who are looking for examples of how to react and how to respond to the persecution of the church and of just virtue and goodness in the world? What other examples or um, people in history can we look to? Or maybe it is just the Maccabees. How can we really draw out of the Maccabees what they did and what they did in response to all the things being done to them? How can we in turn use those for our own good? Well, I think the example, um, in all honesty, remains the same throughout any uh, different person. So in the Maccabees, it's kind of this, uh, they have this um, hidden moment in suffering and it leads to a glorification, you know, mm-hmm. in the same way Jesus has his Holy Thursday night uh, where he's betrayed and then his Calvary and then his quiet time in the tomb and his resurrection and glorification In the lives of the saints, they follow the same path or they um, go through serious, serious suffering and difficulty um, and eventually achieve union with God, you know, mm-hmm. or JP two again, who, um, was growing up in the time of world war II, Nazi occupation of Poland. He had to go to seminary underground. And when he would walk in the streets, he would sometimes get caught in a blitz from the Germans and he would have to take shelter in whatever he could. And then, he and then once the nazis leave then he has soviet occupation of poland and it's just about as bad and but from this pressure comes 
the greatest diamond, arguably, that the church had in the 20th century. Um, so just about any saint you could go to. Padre Pio was uh, censored for, I think, three years where he wasn't allowed to say public mass. Uh, John of the Cross, same thing. Mother Teresa went through her massive dark night of the soul. Um, the church is suffering. And the church is likely going to suffer more. Um, and we have the McCarrick report coming out likely in a few days um, where more will come to the surface of the suffering of the church um, and what we have to endure. But any saint follows that same Paschal mystery of Christ. Uh, Holy Thursday night, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Easter Sunday. Um, so Easter, Easter is our hope. Uh, the Easter of Christ is our hope. But yeah, we can never have the, the Easter without, without the Good Friday. I think honestly, when I look at myself and many Catholics probably like, sometimes you just want to skip to Sunday. You don't want to have to go through the Friday. You don't have to That's go right. through the Holy Saturday. You just want to be straight to the resurrection. And it's hard to accept the fact that right now we are, it's Friday. It's Good Friday right now. And, um, yeah, I guess it's hard to accept for some reason for me. Don't really have much to say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, certainly because the church is what we love and is what we are literally a part of mystically like we make up the body of christ mm -hmm. um, and christ's body is suffering so it is it is hard because the catholic church you know you walk into a beautiful church and i know your first experience of like walking in the newman chapel was was profound for you and, and was for me but you walk in a place like that and it's moving because it's a sign of hope like and an answer to the longing in your heart right mm -hmm. Um, and that's to see that suffering is painful. It's painful to see because there's so much beauty and goodness and glory available. But at the same time, that can inspire us because it fills us with so much uh, to fight for and, and to hope for and to love uh, and to keep loving. Um, yeah, it yeah. fills you with conviction, honestly, to fight. You, you, oh, absolutely. You can't, you can't fight, a, fight a war that you're not passionate about. You have to be passionate right. about the subject in which you're fighting. And if you're a Catholic right now and you feel hurt and you feel pain and you feel the suffering of the church and that pains you to see it, that's all the more reason to fight like we're talking about, which I guess this podcast is really just like a miniature battle cry to people to start fighting and to prepare to fight because um, it's probably about to get a lot harder before it gets easier for us. Right. Certainly. Certainly. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of an interesting thing to, um, to have something that we are really sad to see suffering, you know, like um, it's a beautiful thing to mourn like that. Uh, it's a beautiful thing to be hurt personally like that because it shows how much we value it you know mm -hmm. i totally agree i totally agree with you 
the, I guess really what should be the response then, you know, how do we actually fight? I know we talked about prayer. You, you fight through prayer, but what additional things can we do? I know that you and I talked earlier this week about just, you know, pray and repent, pray and repent, pray and repent. What else is there in our power that we can do to not only prepare to fight, but also actively participate within this fight? Mm-hmm. Well, prayer as, as foundation and peace as foundation um, is the most important thing because any of our other efforts will be futile without that. Um, we're reaching a point in, in culture um, where there's an almost insurmountable wall of what we can, what we can do. We need God. <laughs> we need um, God's grace. So prayer will always remain the most important thing. Um, Our Lady has told us to pray the rosary every single day. Um, In Mexico, when the Aztecs were uh, sacrificing one out of every four children um, to their gods, Our Lady of Guadalupe came and there were millions upon millions of conversion. Um, I believe abortion statistics are about one out of every four now. Um, And so let's Let's continue praying. I know I'm just harping on that, but it's, it is the most important thing. So the next thing I would say is developing the virtue of prudence, which is not simply a, a, a caution thing. I think when we think of prudence, we often think of just being cautious. But prudence is actually about making decisions. The purpose of prudence is, is to make decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and prudence hinges on having a full knowledge of reality. Um, so we're able to see the full picture, see what's going on, see reality as it is when we pray, when we, pr- when we perceive the world as those monks might. Um, and then the next step is, is available to us. So, you know, it's probably not prudent to just uh, start yelling and going crazy about, whatever may be bothering us or whatever may be wrong about culture. But we can take like uh, um, very directed jabs at specific things uh, when we have found them or when we see them um, that also doesn't throw us out in the open uh, in order that, or the, in a way that makes us far too vulnerable, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say cultivating prudence, uh, and that could even be, be its whole own podcast, but um, yeah, community is another big thing. Um, yeah, having solidarity together as Catholics, um, and especially going in a win- into a winter that may involve stricter shutdowns as we already have here in Chicago and I believe in Illinois as a whole. Um, but without community we're we're like charcoals in the wind that are just going to get blown out Mm -hmm. and then i would say maybe the the last thing is that within that community to have a cultural memory of so like in the book of maccabees before their fights and their conquests judas would always say to his brothers remember your fathers 
remember our fathers who went before us. So the examples of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. In our church, we have the examples of so many saints who have gone before us. Mm -hmm. And the saints always came out of trying times. Um, And in the same way, we have the members of our own communities who have gone before us, members of our own families who have gone before us, um, the members of our country who have gone before us. Uh, That memory, that history is of uh, the greatest importance and that in those monasteries or in any monastery really one a common practice is to always uh, keep track of the days when certain brothers died or certain priests died and then on that day for the rest of eternity they will pray for that specific one Um, so i would i'll say those those things um prudence community memory on top of on top of prayer yeah all on top of the foundation of prayer right holding it all up i like it yeah yep yep well mick i think that uh that kind of hits everything on the head that we wanted to talk about today i think that kind of wraps up the state of the world we're in and hopefully how uh, as if there were anything going on although not much at all really this is more out of precaution for when something does happen in the future, maybe. Not right now, yeah. though. Yeah. Yeah, just uh, two armchair theologians going at it. <laughs> one. Just one plus fun. Michael. <laughs> Mike, Mike and Mike in the evening. Yeah, welcome to Mike and Mike in the evening. Uh, it's Tune a pleasure in next having week for the, for the next hypothetical scenario. Yes, we'll have we'll have unlimited amounts of those. We'll have a new one. We'll have a new one. Um, yeah, it could be. Who knows? But anyways... Thank you, Mick, for joining us. Uh, Everyone, please keep making your prayers uh, this week and just offer all those up for him. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, Yeah, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, feel free to reach out at thecatchcc at gmail.com. But that's all that we have for you this week. So until next time, see you guys later. Bye.